55 Bible. Good afternoon and welcome to SWAT Radio. It is Thursday, August 17th. And uh, the weather looks a little uh, iffy out there. Be careful if you're driving. <laughs> Saw lots of wrecks the last couple of days. We begin these thunderstorms in the afternoons, typical Florida weather. But I'm glad you can join us today on SWAT Radio. If you're just tuning in, SWAT stands for Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth. It is a daily live men's radio broadcast uh primarily for men's men and men's discipleship but uh, we have a lot of listeners who are uh, women and we appreciate your comments and all the emails and uh, we we certainly appreciate the stations in mississippi wmer and wmox and up in on the lighthouse in uh, the virginia beach chesapeake virginia area and here in jacksonville on 91.7 and st augustine 91.9 and 91.3 up in Folkestone, Georgia. So thank you for listening. All the people who listen through the internet, appreciate your your uh, emails and your texts, especially as we've been working our way through the, the uh, discipleship gospel. And I'm extremely happy to have uh, Bill Hull on today as our guest. We had Ben Sobel's last week, and we got Bill today. Uh, and both of them uh, helped write that book and uh, – Bill, thank you for uh, for joining us. Welcome to SWAT Radio. Well, thank you, Doug. I don't have that same Northern California Monterey <laughs> accent that Ben has. <laughs> no, uh, ben, Ben's got a little bit of an uh, Aussie accent there. It's easy to pick up on. But, Bill, yeah, I, 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 I was you know reading your bio and I was sharing yesterday with Brad that I had the privilege of uh, spending time with Robert Coleman uh, in Chicago a couple of times, and then over in Amsterdam at Amsterdam 2000, and uh, just love picking his brain, both in the area of uh, discipleship, evangelism, and prayer. And uh, I know that you mentioned his book um, in, in your book, and uh, you also talked about it in your bio a little bit. Did that have a big impact on you, that book? Oh, yes, it did. The Master Plan of Evangelism. I always wondered uh, why a book on discipleship was entitled The Master Plan of Evangelism. But <laughs> it makes perfect sense because the way you evangelize the world is through making disciples. That's what Jesus told us. Mm-hmm. And Make, so there is a end point, uh, and I first met uh, Robert Coleman. His nickname was Clem, as you may know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he's just an old cowboy. Uh, he actually—I met him in 1969—that uh, he was at Asbury Theological Seminary, and I had a good friend, and we went down there, and that's the beginning of my story as I left college. Uh, after uh, being a basketball player, I decided I wanted to go to seminary. Everybody told me go to Asbury, but Asbury didn't want me as a student at that time. <laughs> uh, I was waiting around to get in, 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, went off and played basketball for another five years. And as a result, then I ended up in seminary uh, here on the West Coast at Talbot Theological. But anyway, that, that I met him then, and the reason I wanted to meet him was because in college, I was handed his book, uh, The Master Plan. Hmm. And it really did make a huge impact on me. It's simplicity. Uh, it didn't really deal with the complexities of pastoral life or uh, the conflicts that you get in churches. It did basically just extracted out some principles from the life of Jesus, but uh, revolutionary principles. Uh, and, and so that's how I first met him. And yes, the book had a tremendous impact. In fact, I keep a copy of it here on my desk. It actually has my wife's maiden name in it. That's how long this has been. My wife and I have been married 54 years. Mm -hmm. So that's how old the book is. It lays here on my desk. Well, um, you know, I, uh, I was, again, reading your bio and just thinking, thinking about, you know, even you playing basketball. I was a chaplain for the uh, Houston Rockets for a while and was a chaplain for, oh, the, yeah, yeah, uh -huh. for the University of Houston. I, I lived in Houston and uh, always had a love for basketball. Did you play college basketball? I did. I played at Oral Roberts University. Okay, good. And, then you, and then you played yeah. with Athletes in Action. At that time, uh, they used basketball as a missions effort, right? I mean, like... Uh... They did, and it was a different world. There were really just two teams that, maybe three, that college teams could play. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would, they were classically called exhibition games, but this, don't, you know, put, don't think about the Globetrotters and the Washington Nationals, no. because the Washington Nationals didn't try. They, they was all uh, the theater of the absurd, but Oh, we uh, we actually tried, and we often won. We won probably 50% of our games against people like Duke, North Carolina, North Carolina State. I mean, we played uh, 10 of the top 20 teams in the country my first year with them. Mm. And we, But all the games are on the road. You don't have any cheerleaders. Uh, but at halftime, you'd give a program, a 12-minute program, about t Christian testimonies with a, a short – uh, what we call, and that's kind of be relevant to the book, the Discipleship Gospel, but to what we might call a uh, just a extract of the gospel, which is called the was called the Four Spiritual Laws. Yep, yep. Uh, well, you know, we I, I uh, the first fifteen years in ministry, Bill, I went to Russia and was part of doing some uh, commission work over there. We I partnered with them it was a big joint effort when the wall came down and and a lot of people use the four spiritual laws and you know where billy graham steps to peace with god and you know as i looked through your book and read through it you know and i talked with ben about this there were times things that i i really felt like i lacked uh even though i believed the discipleship gospel i believed in the kingdom gospel I found myself a lot of times at odds with people who would be more from a DTS, Zane Hodges influence kind of perspective or Charles Ryrie that would really just focus on a forgiveness only gospel. And so I was constantly battling as we went over there because I was always wanting to emphasize repentance, belief and follow 
In fact, on my truck, I have a little thing around my tag that says, follow me. <laughs> you know, Jesus said, uh-huh, follow yeah. me. Because that, Matthew 419 has always been my one of my life verses, okay? And so he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And I thought that we had done a terrible job in and taking the gospel to other countries, even though we had good intentions. So when I read your book, uh, you and Ben's book there, it was really helpful the way you articulated it. And I wanted to have you on today to kind of share how you got to this place. Was it something that somebody built into you or uh, did, you know, how, how did it come about? Like what, what's your faith background? How, how did you come to faith? Well, I was in college uh, as a basketball player at Oral Roberts, and I went there not because it was the ideal place for me to go, because I had been in uh, junior college, we'd call it then, but JUCOs or community colleges, and it was, the competition was really uh, very, very good, and I played 60-some games in uh, JUCO ball for two years and did well enough that uh, I was offered many, many scholarships to other schools. And I had a friend who went to ORU, and it radically changed his life. Mm. So I decided, you know, I needed something. I, I just, I, I was kind of drifting and then wandering and then going back to drifting uh, as far as meaning and purpose. And I couldn't just see playing basketball or holding a job and get married, have a couple of kids. And then you uh, just pass away, and that that's life. That that's the only reason for living, and it just wasn't good enough for me. And so when I got to ORU, you know, I went there because I was looking for something, and and I found it. Uh, that's where God found me, and where we met up. And I repented of my sins, and I decided to follow Him. Mm-hmm. I knew that I need. I know. I knew I needed help. And so I knelt one night beside my bed and committed my life to Christ. Next day, I borrowed a Bible from somebody across the hall and began to read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's how it started for me. Uh, it never occurred to me just to uh, say, okay, I am secure in Christ. Now I don't really have to do anything. I can't earn anything. I can't. Uh, I don't have any responsibilities. I'm just going to continue uh, my life as though this didn't happen, but it's a nice commodity to, commodity to have in my back pocket. But that never occurred to me because everything around me said no commitment, full commitment, the faculty, the other students, the environment of the school. And, and while I didn't end up in that camp theologically, uh, it's dear to me, and I thank God for that. Did, did, um, and, and then, you know, this was what I was saying to the people earlier this week when we were talking, our listeners is, you know, there's a lot of people out there, Bill, who have come to Christ through woefully inadequate gospel presentations. (laughs) You know, I mean, like they've, they've come to Christ and the spirit has moved them and, and the kingdom may not have the kingdom gospel may not have been presented the way you and Bill lay it out in the book uh, drawing from what Jesus said. I certainly came and feel like my salvation was real. My wife does too, 
but yet we we didn't hear what you articulated in the book until years later. Yeah, the, you know, the I think I think people m- mistakenly uh, we in the 20th century replaced the gospel with the plan of salvation. Mm. Uh, and and just an abbreviation. Now it's not that the statements in the four laws, for example, or the five steps to peace with God, the Romans road or whatever you want to lock, you know, hopping through Hebrews. Um, it's not that they're wrong statements. They're just incomplete statements. They're just part of it, right? They're, yeah, they're misleading. They're, they're, it's like saying, uh, join, uh, you know, get married and uh, live happily ever after. Uh, and then you you don't think about the obligations. Hmm. Now, at least the marriage ceremony has, you know, it's filled with obligation. But oftentimes our gospel presentations uh, are just developed in such a way as to get as many people to pray a prayer. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I think that when uh, I, I have a friend who's a pastor who said that he quit asking people to pray the sinner's prayer 25 years ago, and he's never asked them to do it since. He just says, we need to follow Christ, and this is what it means to follow Christ, and faith is following. Mm-hmm. And I think that what happened, to answer your question earlier, I met this uh, gentleman uh, on the faculty at ORU, and we went through this book, The Master Plan, and we also went through the Book of Romans, and we memorized 75 verses of Scripture, and we we started writing down names of people that we cared about and whether we want, we wanted to pray for those people. Of course, my family was right on the top of that list, but we went through all of that. And so I was, I was trained right out of the chute to take all this seriously, that to be a Christian meant to follow Jesus and to be a part of the mission in this world that he's in mm-hmm. on. And, and, uh, I never looked back. Did, did you ever read Paul Little's books, Know Why You Believe, Know What You Believe, those books he wrote a long time ago? Yeah, I certainly did, yeah. Well, he, yeah. in right. one of those books, he laid out an illustration that stuck with me. I read it early on, and it was about how, you know, the whole Christ relationship is like a marriage. And, and you know, there's the attraction phase, there's the cost-counting phase, and then there's the wedding day. And, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, occurred to me is that as we look at our culture, a lot of people have wedding day when they've never gone through the cost counting phase. They go through an attraction phase to Jesus without without really considering what it means, without considering they've just been told one aspect of the forgiveness and we're so consumer oriented in our culture, they latch onto that. And they've never had the rest of it really explained to them. And so we have a bunch of churches with people that come in, they sit, they listen every Sunday, but they never tell anybody about Jesus. They don't make disciples and they pretty much follow their own lead in life. <laughs> they try to be good yeah, people. What doing, yeah. What, yeah. It seems like what they're doing is they, uh, they're trying to, to them being a Christian is, will will God help me meet my, will God, help me reach my dreams and fulfill my goals. Mm-hmm. And I think what you have to do when you f- turn, decide to follow Christ is say, fair, wave 
goodbye to your to yourself. Uh, say farewell to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. Isn't that what Jesus said when he says you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and exactly. follow me? Yeah. Um, well, he said it's a, a fool's errand is uh, seeking your own life and trying to hold on to it. Well, as you grew in your understanding, you you eventually moved on from athletes in action and you became a pastor. How challenging was it for you as a pastor to implement this with your congregation to to the the whole kingdom gospel mentality? Well, I, I would suppose when I by, when I was a thirty year old lead pastor, uh, I actually started out at twenty eight years of age. With I was associate for a couple of years, and then I became the lead pastor of this church of about a hundred people, hundred twenty five people. And so I already knew them. I was already part of the congregation, and they and and we'd already. I'd been leading a small group, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that small group was built around some of the things I'd been taught, mm-hmm. which would be and, and both in athletes in action, campus crusade and, uh, and in college. Uh, and I was start, I was in going to seminary at the same time. So kind of all these things were converging, but the way, uh, I, I thought that the, the most important thing I could do is just declare what I believed from the pulpit. So that's what I started with. I just started telling people what I believed, and then I I would say, if you know, if you want to make a disciple, you want to, we're we're called to make disciples. This is what a disciple is, okay? If you're interested in doing this and becoming one of these kinds of thing people, then uh, Tuesday night at seven o'clock in, in room one hundred and one, we have an orientation. And and so the way I started was just pulling people together. You know, laying out, you know, let them help, let them let them lay out the requirements. Uh, we live by covenant, and we started off with an obedience-based uh, kind of practicing what Christ called us to do, and that, that's how I started out. Um, and yeah, there were I would say only about twenty percent of the congregation showed an interest in that. The rest of them were just interested in what they were interested in, and and. I continued to be obviously their pastor and do the things they wanted me to do as a pastor. But I always thought of it as I'm over here working on the cardiovascular system. And then there's all this other stuff that the body of Christ does, but I'm, I have to go back and work on the cardiovascular system. Mm. And that's what that, that to me was basically how I was making disciples. And then those disciples, those people then multiplied in the congregation and then multiplied and started having an impact in the community. And that caused us to uh, be an attractive place for people to come. Mm. Uh, well, as, as you uh, looked at uh, church history and you look at our country's history as, as at least in this Christian subculture, when, when do you think the, uh, the shift came to separate the discipleship aspect to to a second tier kind of thing because that's what i experienced early on in ministry is there the biggest battles that i was getting was well discipleship and evangelism are different you're called to evangelism i'm called to discipleship and they they're not the same thing they're not part of the same thing 
And, and so people tried to make it two separate things. Like you could be a believer without being a disciple, you know, like that, 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 was, you yeah. know, and like you're just being disobedient, but you're still a believer because you assent to the facts that he died on the cross. And that was, that was some big arguments that I would experience early on. Um, did, did you ever do any research, you know, when you were doing your book stuff or talk about that, where, 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 where did that begin to start? Where did it come from? You know, because you go to the Bible, you don't see that. So it, it had to occur somewhere. Do you think it, it came in the 1800s with Finney and, and when they started doing the mass evangelism efforts or, I mean, did you get any kind of, you know, read on where that came from? Yes, uh, I think Finney was the more, he was very serious, you know, he was, uh, and very effective. And then he had, you know, the, I think it was seven things that you could do to, to, uh, get decisions. And, and he was, you know, he was very pragmatic. I think he was the, basically the father of mass evangelism as we understand it in the United States. And then I think D.L. Moody, uh, started preaching sermons that were focused on decisions. Mm -hmm. Then I think also uh, that was true of Billy Sunday and then Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. Now, Billy Graham always gave the nod to discipleship, and in fact, he worked closely with the navigators. And I think it's really, he was the most powerful and uh, impactful individual probably in the 20th century regarding gospel and and uh, our understanding of it and even today there are other people who followed in his tradition and and essentially uh what what happened robert coleman was telling me this story about he and lauren sanny mm -hmm. were uh, who was the president of the navigators or at least not not the president but uh they were together in a hotel room uh in a city where billy graham was having the crusade because they were responsible for uh, the follow-up, and they were uh, roommates in uh, this particular city, and they were together when the phone call came that uh, Dawson Trotman, who was the founder of the Navigators, had drowned trying to save somebody uh, at a Christian camp. And and uh, but tell that story only to say that the master plan for evangelism or of evangelism. Uh, was the follow-up book for the Billy Graham Crusade. And that's why, if you look at it, it says that this book has sold like 7 million copies or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, the part of the reason for that is they were given away from by Billy Graham. Now, why is that happening? Because Billy Graham was the evangelist, and the navigators were the follow-up people. Mm -hmm. And so that's when it divided in the public persona, mm -hmm. it is the public eye, was you have... People like Billy Graham, they're evangelists, uh, they do outreach, and then they turn it over to other people to do follow-up. Mm -hmm. And so then what would happen is, let's say that Billy Graham goes to a city for uh, you know two weeks, and uh, 4,000 people go forward and say prayers, and then there would be prayer counselors or people counselors, and they would have materials, and they would match those people up with the counselors would be matched up with those people and they would give them counsel and help them pray and give them materials 
And then they would, the next step would be they would turn them over to a local church. Mm. All right. So then they studied this, and a year later, they found that only 10% of those people that went forward were involved in a local church because of that event. And what that revealed would, would be like if uh, all 4,000 women went to a variety of ho- went to one hospital and all had babies, mm. and they took all those babies, and they gave them to uh, people who were in uh, child care, and those people then would parcel them out to experts, let's say, rather than sending them home with their mothers. And we know which one works best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Plato who thought that we ought to turn all our children over to the state, and there's yeah. other people who have advocated such a thing. But basically... Uh, I think that's when it divided, when Bill Bright, uh, Bill Bright, probably the second most important person in the 20th century for a world evangelization and the four spiritual laws. And when they divided, basically, this is an outreach event and this is a follow-up event and this is the four laws, which is essentially not the gospel, but they called it the gospel and everybody said that is the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question fully, Billy Graham, Bill Bright, uh, American culture, television, get all implanted or imprinted on our minds that the four laws or the gospel, plan of salvation is the gospel, and 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 that became the gospel. So when everybody said, "Look, we're in, we're in, interested in discipleship, but really we need to preach the gospel," they saw two different things, and I think that was the result of all that. Mm. Well, um, I, I just I, I know that it's been an ongoing battle. It's had a lot of different names. You know, a lot of people have talked about the Lordship Gospel. A lot of people talk about Zane Hodges and Charles Ryrie. You know, John MacArthur. Right. And it's just gone by different names over the years. But it all really revolves around the same thing. And I remember Stephen Olford told me one time. He says, "You cannot reject." you would say kingship or lordship of Jesus and embrace him as savior. <laughs> it's two sides of the same coin. You know, that the spirit mm-hmm. is not going to let you do that. He's not going to do that. And you guys articulate very well in the discipleship gospel um, that that whole way of thinking. And I, I again, appreciate you doing that. Uh, we're we're going to have to break here in just a minute for the news on the half hour. Uh, but when I come mm-hmm. back, I, I would like to talk to you a little bit about uh, the Bonhoeffer Project, the cohorts, uh-huh. uh, and, and, and then also uh, some of the resources you have on your website that are helpful, some books, and studies that people have. I, I saw in there you've got a book called I Will Not Bow Down. Is that a new book by you? Is that a new one? Yeah, that's brand new. Yeah, we're sort of just as a it's a rolling start, a rolling release. You know, we were just uh, right now it's now the books have been are have been printed. Uh you can get it on Amazon and I'll I'd be happy to tell you more about that book after the break. Okay, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to hear that. Um and and again uh, if you want some of the resources, there's some really good resources. Uh, you can go to BillHull.com. That's B-I-L-L-H-U-L-L.com. We're talking to Bill Hull, uh, former pastor. Right? He is a writer. He's written lots of books about 
the whole issue. Bill, what do you say to somebody? Because sometimes we get emails and stuff. Uh, people say, well, you know, we got to go to the break. Uh, when, when I come back, uh, I want you to respond to this so you'll have a little time on the break. What do you say to people who say, we don't need books? We got the Bible. That's the only book we need. Uh, I'd like to hear your response because you've written a lot of good resources <laughs> for people. And uh, there are people out there who wonder that, you know, why they should spend time reading something else. And uh, I shared a little bit yesterday, but I'd be interested in your response. Would you do that when we come back? Sure. All right. Sure hey, you're, li- you're listening to SWAT Radio uh, with Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. I have my guest, Bill Hull, today. You can find out more about Bill by going to BillHull.com. Uh, we've been covering his book, The Discipleship Gospel, for the last 10 weeks. And uh, we're just kind of finishing up this week. It's the NASDAQ losing 94. This is SRN News. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist and president of the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, in an evolutionary sense, what do the terms advanced and primitive mean? Crisp primitive animals are thought to be those that evolved long ago, which gave rise to more and more advanced types. Single-cell organisms are the most primitive, and then marine invertebrates and up to fish, amphibians, mammals, and eventually man, the most advanced of all. Within each mammal type, evolutionists say that the more advanced ones are the ones that are modern, but extinct varieties were hardly primitive. Chris, the whole concept of primitive advances an evolutionary idea which is wrong on the face of it. Evolution did not happen. God created each basic category, much as we see it today. None is more advanced than the other. Each is complex. And that's the way I see it from a Back to Genesis perspective. Visit our website at icr.org. I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in. There's major delays because of a crash on Beach Boulevard westbound at Kernan Boulevard blocking all the lanes. Also, there's an accident on the north side on the East Beltway, 295 northbound before I-95 blocking the off-ramp. And there's congestion on the East Beltway, 295 northbound near Butler Boulevard. Mostly cloudy tonight, low 77. Friday, mostly sunny, high 94. From the Traffic and Weather Center, I'm AJ. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. It's Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. It is Thursday, August 17th. That is Thursday. My wife gives me grief because I say Thursday. But anyway, um, Bill, welcome. I don't have that accent. I got a southern accent, Bill, so I say Thursday. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> okay. uh, glad glad to have Bill Hull, uh, him and uh, Ben Sobel's. Um, wrote the discipleship gospel, what Jesus preached, we must follow. One of the, the lines in there uh, that Brad and I both love uh, is uh, the gospel you preach determines the disciples you make as really an impactful statement and unfortunately has rung true as we look around churches all over this country 
who have people, a large majority, that never tell anybody about Jesus. They never disciple anybody, and yet they would call themselves believers. It, it, you know, and Bill, I, I was in the Marine Corps for eight years, and I, I share this with my SWAT guys a lot, that, that, you know, it's almost like raising your hand to be in the Marine, getting the uniform, and saying, okay, I'm a Marine now, and never training, never preparing, never going to do anything to prepare for battle uh and and you're just saying you're a marine you just want the uniform and that's what's happening yeah, you just hang around uh, i guess you hang around the camp and gain weight huh yeah that's pretty much it you just <laughs> you just hang around and you tell everybody you're a marine you celebrate the fact you're a marine but you never do anything a marine does right you don't do anything right. a marine does and um you know um so I want to go back to this question because, again, it's come up several times. People say, you know, you always talk about books. You promote books on here. And, and, and we do. We try to share resources where people have articulated things about the Bible and helped explain things, exposit things that are helpful. And, um, you know, people don't have a problem reading a book about car repair. They don't have a, uh, you know, or, or, or reading a book about something that helps them do something else. But when it comes to Bibles, they'll listen to a sermon every week. But if that same pastor writes it down in a book, they, they don't know that that's good. At least that's some of the emails we got. How do you respond to that? Uh, first of all, I suppose, um, I would say, Somebody needs to do something about all the confusion in the Bible. I mean, about the confusion of people trying to understand the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, that it's a book that's separated from us by hundreds, thousands of years. Uh, it's separated from us geographically, by language, by history, by custom. Uh, all of that. Mm -hmm. And we have all these veils uh, between us and the original authors and their intention, mm -hmm. and uh, what's called authorial intent. Uh, I believe that lots of books have been written about it, uh, and because there's a lot of information about the Bible that we need to understand, and I think it was even John, didn't he say at the end of his gospel, that all the books in the world could contain everything that Jesus did. So uh, he didn't really have a problem with books. He wrote he wrote a couple himself. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that um, the Bible is just uh, 66 books, isn't it? I mean, yes. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that, uh, you know, 40 authors over 1,500 years, 66 books. Uh, I think uh, also Martin Luther said something quite interesting. He said, uh, if you want to change the world, take up a pen and write. Uh, and so that, that to me, uh, I, I just tell you a quick story. Uh, Ben and I were sitting, uh, on a bench out in front of a hotel waiting for somebody to pick us up for dinner in St. Louis one night. And I said to Ben, Ben, we've spent a lot of our time telling people what we are not in favor of. Why don't we write something? Uh, would you join me in writing something? that about what we do believe and that's why we wrote the discipleship gospel and we we don't want to call it the kingdom and gospel because the word kingdom it just still doesn't have a slot in most people's heads 
<laughs> yeah. uh, it, it confuses people because you know they, there's all kinds of different viewpoints about the kingdom, and uh, so we just call it. Let's call it the discipleship gospel. Let's get right down to it. And so I'm a, obviously an advocate of uh, books. I've written over 30 books and uh, a lot of materials, and it's because uh, somebody would say to me, "Why do, I, do we really need another book on prayer?" And I would say, because this person might be saying to me, should I write a book on prayer? Do we really need another book on prayer? And I said, of course we do. I mean, do we hear another, We need a, do we need another Bible study on prayer? Yeah. Do we need a, another sermon on prayer? Yes. Do we have another book on prayer? Yes. Why? Why? Because you've never written, we have never heard from you on prayer. That's what I tell these people. So write it. We've never heard from you on this subject. And you might have something to say that nobody else in the world has can say. Well, or, or, so certainly I, through I your that, lens of experience, right? I mean, how how God has impacted you because we we all see different aspects of. The, isn't that the beauty of the body of Christ to hear different perspectives, but tr- all trying to ascertain the truth of of whatever He says in His Word, and and so you might be able to share with me in a way. That I might, and you have. I mean, you articulate things in in the king, the discipleship gospel that um, that were articulated. I, I never thought about how to articulate it that way, and so it was very helpful to to be able to do that. And I've, I mean, the same thing can be said of you know Paul Little's book or you know John Stott or J.I. Packer and things they write. Uh, they're just expositing scripture as God has minister to them and truly any pastor you've been a pastor if he's not preaching to himself the things that he's sharing then you know there it's going to be it's going to be lacking anyway the first place you got to start is with yourself and and as you minister to yourself that gives to me it empowers other people out there because you're you're just sharing what god's revealing to you in his word right yeah and an all-important ministry is autobiographical yeah and it's I think it's uh, I think it was a guy named James Black who I, re- I remember uh, the preacher and preaching. It was a book. I don't know why I remember this, but he said that uh, the preaching, great preaching, was truth poured through personality. Mm. Yeah. So I, uh, I've always liked that. Is and and uh, people, um, you know, God delivered. God decided he wrote himself. He wrote himself into the play. That's how. Shakespeare, for example, can meet Hamlet. The only way is write himself into the play. And Jesus, wrote, God wrote his son into the play. He comes and he speaks to us as the Logos in a way that is so profound. It's beyond description of words because he is the word. And the way he is delivered to us is a human being. And I think that that's in, called incarnation. Mm-hmm. And that's how we incarnate the gospel is delivered through individuals mm-hmm. to other people in a multiplicity of ways in all kinds of various circumstances. Mm. Could you say that one more time? That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say it one well, more time? Ba- basically, you, t- you it's it's the gospel given through us in different different circumstances, right? Yeah. It's just the way yeah, the gospel impacts us, right? Right. I mean, if you, in a variety of ways that we uh, are, 
God delivers the gospel through us to other people in all kinds of different settings, and uh, through the family, uh, through business associates, through friendship, uh, and it's through the printed word, it's through the spoken word, and it's based upon your giftedness and your calling and your vocation, you know, how, how you deliver. And mm. uh, uh, it could yeah. just be an, uh, it could be an ethical CPA or stockbroker that mm. stands out from other people. Yeah, I you know I was I was thinking about just how how many stories I've heard being on the radio over the last seven years. You know, we have different guests on every Thursday, and we hear different perspective from a variety of pastors and and uh, people who are in marketplace ministers. And it's just always encouraging to hear how God moves in everybody's life. But the common denominators between those discipleship people or the kingdom people is, like you said, they're surrendered to the kingdom. They're surrendered to making disciples that are make disciples and make more disciples. And, you know, as you look at the the state of the church right now, what at least what you witness now i know you live out in california so uh i'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll give you well, a little you know, break of that I have, I have a sermon i have a sermon while uh i'm going to give uh, relatively soon called uh something like why stay in babylon and that's <laughs> about being in california wow yeah it, it well yeah it, it it's it's different out there that's for sure uh, better you than me uh we need to pray for him folks if you're listening pray yeah lift, that's right lift, lift up our brother uh bill um well bill you know on your website before we went to break i, I mentioned your book i will not bow down you said that's just kind of rolling out tell us a little bit about that book okay i uh glad you asked um it, the theme of it, and I'm actually doing this. You can go to the website and look at the Museum of the Bible on October 17th. The Museum of the Bible, I, I, I developed this motto for them. I don't know if they're using it, but if you love the Bible, you'll love the Museum of the Bible. Uh, and it, it's a place totally dedicated to the Bible, and it's a spectacular place. I've never been to it. I just The website looks great. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be there on October 17th and talking about my new book, uh, I will not bow down, and uh, you can. I think it's uh, forty nine dollars, and uh, you, you come to Washington. I know it's a. It's not a march on Washington. It's just going <laughs> to come to Washington, and uh, we're going to um, spend time talking about these issues right there at the uh, in the belly of the beast. Hmm. But uh, essentially, uh, the thesis of the book is. I will not bow down, meaning that I will not bow down to the cultural influences that come against the gospel. Mm-hmm. Just like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, the issue in Germany was was the independence of the church to represent and preach the gospel mm-hmm. against Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. And I, I don't, you know, forgive me for uh, even saying that. I'm not suggesting that the United States is anything like it. Mm-hmm. But I, I am suggesting that there are forces at work, and it's the same forces, I mean, the same origin, Lucifer. But essentially, here it is. The, the, our discipleship has failed. Hmm. 
And in the, and I base this on the last 50 years. And here's some of the ways it's failed. Uh, we have con- we have conflated church growth with success. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's bigger, it's got to be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have substituted celebrity and fame. You know, if you can get that instead of spiritual fruit. Uh, we have bowed down the need of pluralism. Yeah. In other words, we've given up on a lot of moral issues uh, and just bowed the knee because we are afraid to engage. Uh, another is the demise of the uniqueness of Christ. Uh, little things just kind of stop getting mentioned in the church. And the uniqueness of Jesus as high above all others uh, and as the leader, the greatest uh, in Jesus, he is the ultimate reality. Mm. He is a person, he is God incarnate. And there's no one else like him anywhere else. And no one else is walking on water. No one else is feeding 5,000 people <laughs> with two loaves and five fishes. Because he is the one, you know, if you like quantum physics, he is the one who actually understands the atoms and the electrons and and all the components of the universe and how it's put together so he can change those, he can alter them. And we have no human being uh, is actually doing any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, private, the privatization of faith, meaning, you know, just keep it to yourself inside the church. Uh, we have given up the battle for sexual morality. Uh, and this goes without speaking, the sexualization of children, uh, the, uh, the way in which we have, uh, we have a, a morally confused populace in the United States. It's doing great uh, damage to our young people and to society in general. And then there's the, the disappearance of moral knowledge from our culture. Dallas Willard used to talk about this. And there's a book, which is a highly technical book, uh, called The Disappearance of Moral Knowledge that he never finished, and so it was finished by three scholars. Uh, not that Dallas wasn't. But that's, those are the ways in which we have failed. And, and then um, here's the other part that I'm going to talk about, is, is that the culture is, has worked to make God optional. That's, essentially, all of that is about the culture making God optional, and the evangelical gospel is working to make discipleship optional. Hmm. And if you take those two things together, you wonder why we uh, are declining, why we are uh, drifting, why we are weak, why we have lost influence. It's all of those reasons in combination. And the cure, of course, is well, we separated conversion from discipleship. And when you separate conversion from discipleship, then it's like a separation of a marriage. It's like the separation of a family. Mm-hmm. It's like the separation of two things that ought to be together, but now they're apart, mm-hmm. like God and humans. Yeah. Uh, and then, so those are some of the things that I'll be talking about at the Museum of the Bible. And and uh, you can, and then I'm going to talk about a solution. So that that's what would be in the morning time. Uh, then we have a plated lunch overlooking Washington, and then we have a, a guided tour, a VIP tour of the museum itself. 
and some Q&A, and uh, then we're out of there by 4.30 in the afternoon. Okay, that is October 17th at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., Bill Hall. Yes, it's right near the mall. It's right near the mall. Yep. Uh, So, again, that's October 17th. If you've never been, I have not been, Bill, but I've heard it's an amazing place. Uh, and you're going to be teaching up there. And But uh, if they want the book, I Will Not Bow Down, they can get that on your website now, right? Yes, they can get it on the website, or you can just go strictly, strictly uh, straight to Amazon. Okay. And get it there in uh, hardback, uh, digital. Well, let's see, can we get Yeah, you can get it digitally, mm-hmm. and you can get it hardback and paperback. Okay. Hey, Bill, I got a, a, another question for you. Uh, you sure. know, the, you know, the discipleship gospel workbook, um, you know, yes, uh, the one, uh, that, you know, uh, multiply disciples with the gospel of Mark, can that be used as a standalone study or would it be better to work through the discipleship gospel with somebody first before then doing the workbook? That's a Ben Sobel's question because they wanted <laughs> to put my name on the workbook, but I had nothing to do with it. Uh, I did. Ben and I did write the book, so I want to make that clear. Yeah, well, the, but, no, uh, no. Well, the workbook is just working through the Gospel of Mark. It's basically correct. And I know that, Ben did that ben, at his church. He ben said, did that in his yeah. church. Yeah, and yeah. That, I think that's that's uh, why we have high confidence in it. It's field tested in Ben's church. Yeah. My, my recommendation, and you can weigh in on that is I would work through the discipleship gospel first and then go through the gospel of Mark. That's what I would recommend. I mean, or through the discipleship okay. gospel workbook. I mean, because, because I, I think it's helpful for people to, to kind of hear what's out there, you you and Ben both put did such a good job of working through uh, that, and then when you go through the Gospel of Mark study, which is really what that is, you 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 have an underlying basis, I think, as you <laughs> as you work through it. I, that's what I think in response to the question. Do you disagree with that, or you think that you're good with that? <laughs> no, no, I can support that fully. Uh, ben also did. You know, I don't know. Uh, he did all this artwork. I don't know if it's going to get in the Smithsonian, but he, <laughs> you know, in the book, there's these little drawings. Yeah. And I think he did most of them. That's funny. Uh, I, I think there's a, cu- a couple of three in there that I, uh, you know, come from me, but I certainly didn't draw them. Mm. Uh, well, one of the things that you brought out, you know, in the pulpit to pew section of the book is the discipleship funnel. A lot of people don't know where to start. What would you say, Bill, to the person out there that goes, you know, I've never done discipleship. I've never discipled anybody. Uh, I've never been discipled by anybody, but I want to be obedient. How do I start? What do I do? What's the next step for me if I want to be obedient? What what would you say to that person? I think it would depend on their, uh, uh, their position in the body of Christ. If you're a pastor, I'd say get started by preaching about it. Rebuild your gospel from the floor, ground floor up mm-hmm. like a wall and, uh, and do that in a series of preaching. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing I would say if you're a pastor 
is gather a small group around you and do with them what you'd want them to do with others. Hmm. And then eventually, when you get some advocates and people who you've modeled it and they understand it, then the next thing would be for you to uh, utilize those leaders to multiply it through other people who are willing to get involved. If you are um, just uh, a a casual member of the church, uh, you attend and you find yourself in row eight or something like that, (laughs) uh, what I would suggest is uh, that you seek seek somebody who, in the church, who you say, "I, I would like to study the Bible, I'd like to learn more about it, I'd like to do this or that, uh, then I think you could find somebody. If you can't, then then you need to go looking, uh, maybe in different venues for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just really depends on your experience, how much of the Bible you already know. But I would say that you can't make disciples without accountability, and you don't have accountability without uh, some sort of community. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, Bill, the... Uh... You also have a book on your website called The Complete Book of Discipleship. Is that kind of is that <laughs> yeah. is, is that a study like a Bible study for a small group or is that just a book to read to personal study? What is that about? Yeah, the latter that's a that's the complete book is a title I never liked but it's uh, sold very very well apparently uh, for Nav Press. That book is usually a textbook uh, it's an overview. It has uh, some ex, uh, exhortive kinds of pages and, and statements up front, and then it pretty much covers everything, uh, a whole waterfront of the subject. And it, it was a, it was one that I wrote back in I think it's oh six or oh four. It was released, uh, and it's been it's done quite well. But uh, because I guess people like the complete book of lawnmower repair, and it looks like <laughs> the complete book of uh, Things like that. Yeah. Well, nav, uh, navigators I, are pretty I, I, good at that stuff, though. You know, I love nav. Exactly. Nav, nav is really good. I, I went through nav 27 and was very influenced by the navigators. I love Dawson Trotman. And, uh, you know, th- th- those they they did a good job of, of discipling. And uh, I'm just glad that you put them both together. You put you put the discipleship and the evangelism. I'm, I'm like you. You know, when I read Coleman's book, I'm like, he's talking about making disciples, but he calls it evangelism. So I, I'm just glad that it, it seems to me like a movement is coming and more and more people are discontent with following Jesus uh, and not really following you know what I mean? At least acknowledge, yeah, I should say, I think, acknowledging I, yeah, Jesus. The yeah. pastors are often are, are quite guilty for going, follow me, and then they just go down to their office. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's not very exciting. Yeah. Uh, it Follow me into a committee meeting, you know, that kind of stuff. And and so I, I do believe that uh, my most, probably my most important book from my viewpoint in the last few years has been Conversion and Discipleship. You can't have one without the other. Hmm. And I, because that's the theological basis for the Bonhoeffer project. Hmm. Uh, that, well, let me ask you, cause I, um, I just got a book, one of uh, Brad, who's on the program with me Monday through Wednesday. Um, he just gave me a book he got a while back, uh, called Christ like, 
the pursuit of uncomplicated obedience. And we gave those out yeah, in our retreat. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, is, yeah. is that, what, what is that about? Well, I like to title books uh, and, uh, and accurately as to what they're in, you know, what's in the book. Uh, and essentially it's about developing an uncomplicated heart for God. Well, that's easy. Uh, it's about, <laughs> yeah, in other words, uh, just don't overcook it. You know, it's like God, here's one example I used. God works, does God work inside out or outside in? The answer is both. Mm. You know, the, in acting, I used uh, Dustin Hoffman. I believe he, in Tootsie, he was, uh, that was an outside in kind of thing where he, he uh, used the makeup and he dressed like a woman. And, oh, yeah. Uh, hey, hey, Bill, we got to go. Our time yeah. is out. Oh, but I want to okay, tell well. people October 17th, Discipleship Seminar with Bill Hall at the